Welcome to RHP Market Talk, episode number 35, produced by RHP Wealth Management, an independent financial services and investment advisory firm based in Houston, Texas. I'm Natalie Pika, Chief Experience Officer, joined today by our Chief Investment Officer, Glenn Royal. Hi, Natalie. Glad to be here. <laughs> Glad to be back in our normal, our kind of our normal market conversations, just the two of us and talking a little bit about what 2023 looked like and setting the stage for 2024. Now, I can't wait to hear this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> for our listeners out there, just so you know, we do prep for these things, but we never quite know where the conversation might go. So I think to Glenn's point, I'll, I'm always interested to listen. <laughs> I'm just like everybody else out there. Ooh, how did that turn out? Let's hear, let's hear what we might have to say. I think everybody is kind of scratching their head and looking back about just 2023 in general mm-hmm. and what we thought we were going to have coming off of a 2022. We're still kind of, I think we're still sort of reeling from post-pandemic, you know, stuff. And I, I saw this really cool headline that Bloomberg put out this last week about Wall Street being humble, right? That markets will humble you. It's pretty hard to humble Wall Street, too. Isn't it? <laughs> it's not, That's it's pretty big egos. Uh, yeah, it was. Actually, I saw a stat yesterday that showed, going back to the turn of the century, Every year, all the strategists across the board have forecasted market gains, and they're generally right. We have the gains. Mm -hmm. But this year was the first year that every market strategist was wrong. They all called for a recession in 23. And if if you recall, we we went into January – you know, I, I can, you know, I still remember quite clear. I got mm-hmm. the scars to remember it, but it was all about recession. We yep. were fearful of a recession. And so we had bond yields actually decline. Stock market went up. Prices, you know, went up on, on bonds. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we flipped to February to inflation fears. And the bond market came crashing down and that affected stocks. And then we went into March, which was the banking crisis. Oh, that's, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. I've already forgotten about that. Yeah, like, lots happened this year. There's been so much in the headlines and so much up and down that, yeah, I mean, we've been hit. I think we came out of the COVID crisis afraid of what's the next shoe that will drop. And sure. then we got a shoe and then another shoe. And so the whole, you really did, it was kind of like um, the sky is falling. One's yeah, the it next felt piece. that way. Yeah. It certainly, and coming yeah. into this year, it did, and and that's typically, you know, of course, we always, you know, we're always talking about the two emotions: the markets drive on fear and greed. That's right. So we were full on fear coming into this year, uh, and that actually probably set the stage up for for a good year. What was the big surprise, of course, that after all this blow up in the spring, mm-hmm. that we went through the first quarter. Something called AI caught our attention, artificial intelligence, and that created a little mini boom that went through the summer until we got fearful about yields again and the bond market started going up and inflation and the Fed not through their hiking cycle. And uh, there we went until that all reversed again in November. So so basically what you're hearing is uh, what we're describing is an extraordinary amount of volatility that's come in the market. And that's more emblematic, I think, of a rising rate environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're kind of on the backside of that. So I feel better about 24 as we're on the, the downside of rates. And no longer is the Fed raising. They're now cutting rates. The volatility tends to come a little bit out of the market. Then. Right. So I think 
moral of this story is predicting markets is pretty close to impossible. You just never you know. know. It, it is with with you know consistency. You, mm-hmm. you may be good every once in a while. You know, we all have good calls, but uh, it's very very difficult to do on a consistent basis, which argues back to investing for the long run right. and you know checking your asset allocation, staying true to your financial plan, that sort of thing that we espouse all the time here. So, you know, all the way through 23, we've still been, we've been in a rate hiking cycle, as you mentioned. We're all pretty confident in what we're hearing that we're done. No more rate hikes. Now the market's starting to price in. Cuts. Cuts. Yeah. So, and and a lot of that is based on inflation. I mean, it's, it's really kind of here today, all the news cycle is Goldilocks. Yeah. I mean, we just printed... The revision for third quarter GDP came out, first revision, it was 5.2%. That's the highest quarterly growth in 40 years. At the same time, I don't have big job losses in this economy. People are hanging in there. We're not giving, you know, the unemployment rate's still historically low. A little Mm -hmm. bit of a backup, but not much. Mm -hmm. So these forces are combining to really cause a little bit of confusion in the market because I've got, it's, it's giving some, indication that the economy is still too strong and that's why the fed has to raise rates the fear of this inflation right. again we've got a fed that's fighting the ghost of the 70s when that then fed under chair arthur burns you know did the same thing they raised rates to fight inflation and when things looked like they were cooling down they came in early and cut rates well that ignited inflation much like a flame reignites mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. boom inflation went again that brought in paul volcker that killed inflation with yeah. super super high rates the chair Powell does not want to repeat an Arthur Burns Fed. So he's been very, very forceful in his statements of that. Yeah. But what we is seeing is that rates will stay higher for longer. Fed in all likelihood has paused a year ago. Last summer CPI was printing nine percent. It's down three and a half, three point six. We're looking for a CPI to come in next year, even fall further down to that two percent target the fed's looking for uh that's all very that bodes well for bonds and, and you, risk assets in do you feel like uh, you know when we, we start talking about inflation do you feel like the average household has felt that decline i mean i think when we said nine percent twelve percent like the inflation print numbers were just through the roof and i think we felt it at the grocery store we we've seen it you know we've seen it at the gas pump that reversal down to 3.6 that you just mentioned. Are we really believing that? Do we, so, do we feel it? You know, we don't. And and you make a really good point because I'm, I'm kind of talking with my academic hat on about mm-hmm. inflation. If I talk with my personal shopper hat on, right. prices haven't come down. I mean, on average, prices are 20% higher today than they were before the pandemic began. We don't see that coming down. All we're seeing is the rate of growth of inflation, which has got up to 9%, is coming back down to those historically low levels. That's what the Fed's trying to get to. doesn't mean prices are going to go back down to where they were. Grocery prices, you know, uh, auto prices used are. We're seeing mm-hmm. prices come down, which is driving, driving down that overall inflation rate. Right. We still see that. I hate to say it, but really what takes prices down, deflation, is a recession. And that's you know, not something we really want. Right. We don't want that recession. Well, and with the GDP numbers coming out, I think, can we talk a little bit about where we are with interest rate hikes, earnings growth 
for the actual companies and what that what that looks like with GDP still being high. I mean, it, overall, the economy is strong, and we were sure that these interest rates, if we are at, at the terminal rate, if we've, we've ended it, Fed's done. Yeah, five and a half. Right. What does that mean well, so for GDP? I, I think Going you will forward. see, and the economists are, are forecasting lower GDP growth next year, around 2%. Uh, and that what we're seeing is a slowing of growth, which I can get into the setup with that uh, for next year. What we'll see as a result of that, but um, that that slowing of of inflation, the slowing of growth, is bringing us back towards really a disinflationary environment. And I also see uh, disinflation being imported into our country from China, mm. from Europe, that are actually in recessions if you will right now mm-hmm. so their prices are coming down and we're you're seeing an oil oil has come off the boil it's, yeah. it's trading very very low uh from the risk of event geopolitical risk of the hamas uh, israeli war right right you know, it's trading quite low these days uh, 77 dollars 78 dollars a barrel wti so you mentioned ai a little bit earlier um and again this market it's quite an interesting year. Let's talk a little bit about technology and the concentration of what yeah. we've seen Where in the the equities. Money? Who made the money this exactly. year? Right? Where did the juice come from? <laughs> um, and frankly, I mean, as a PM, this is where you want to humility. You want to beat your head against the wall mm-hmm. because it it is very, very difficult when market leadership is contained to just a few stocks. So we can, for example, this year, they got some stats. I mean, this is a little bit old, about a week or so old data, but uh, the Magnificent Seven, that's these big tech sites, Apple, Netflix, you know, Amazon, so forth, Tesla. They're up over 70% this year, and they account for 94% of the S&P 500's returns. If I actually take a few things and step back and say, hey, what did, uh, what did small caps do this year? You know, small caps were down, uh, were actually up about 2%. Had a pretty good November, but small caps are heavily weighted towards financials, mm-hmm. which is having problems with commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. So that's putting a little drag on that area. The only thing that's really worked has been these Magnificent Seven. If I take the Magnificent Seven and I look at it kind of globally, and I say, okay, well, the U.S. has outperformed the rest of the world. Well, why is the U.S. outperform? It comes down to U.S. tech exceptionalism. I mean, mm. our tech stack is the best in the world. These large companies continue to drive profits. They've got strong quality balance sheets. They have everything that you could possibly want as an investor to be in. However, you are paying for that. They're rich. Mm-hmm. So you're always running against the fundamental investor in me that says, how can I pay that much for one of these stocks? Well, the reality is, is that's what's driving the market. So if you are listening to the market and, and you want to be the market, you have to own these stocks. Mm-hmm. So we, we own them in line with the S&P weightings. So let's talk about, because it is the MAG-7, because that we've got that concentration, but we're, we're getting paid in the bond market now. Finally. And we're, you know, overall, what we tell our clients is we talk about their plan, we talk about their goals, and you're investing for the long term. And generally speaking, that's going to be in a balanced portfolio, right? Which is, it's going to have some stocks, going to have some bonds. We saw in 2022, a year where both stocks and bonds had a rough year, right? That was hard. The 60-40 portfolio, which is kind of a, a general 
60% equity, 40% bonds. People think of balanced portfolios, the, the 60-40. Are we back to where that's going to do well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this year, bonds are basically flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, after earlier sell-offs this year, the, the rally we recently had brought them basically flat. It's extraordinarily unusual to have three years of negative bond returns. It just, it's never happened before. I know in markets, whenever I get extremes, that's generally an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So in this case, an extreme oversold that fear that's mm-hmm. there presents an opportunity. I think the other thing is with the Fed changing the direction and now leaning more towards rate cuts as we go forward, that favors bonds. I do want to point out that the recent rally we're seeing is that the shorter maturities, the you know, out to two, three, four years, those kind of bonds are uh, rallying greater in price than, than the longer bonds. That tells me that, frankly, you know, we got a little bit of concerns of a slowdown. We need to be careful about that. But I'm not, I'm not necessarily in the recession camp. I have been, but signs are starting to show that it looks pretty good next year. We may not necessarily go into recession. We have to be vigilant about it. Mm-hmm. The average market declines 18% in a recession. So we want to be very careful of it, but we're not seeing signs that that's going to happen. More of the soft landing that you hear so much about. That being said, the returns next year, because we're on the backside of the volatility that the bond market brought is the sharpest increase in rates by the Fed in 40 years. Right. Um, on the backside of that, I do look for lower volatility, but the return expectation for stocks, uh, if we look at the price earning multiple, which is the barometer of value, mm-hmm. it's running about 20 times right now in the recent rally we've had. I think that S&P multiple, given the level of inflation that we have, Fair values, 19, 18, 20, right in here where we are. So two ways that we make money in stocks is either through earnings growth or multiple expansion. We lose money through multiple contraction or earnings decline, right? I think we're set up for that next year where we're going to have earnings growth, 6% for S&P 500 profit estimation. After three quarters of negative earnings growth, we're finally turning positive there. Right. Uh, but I don't expect multiple expansion. That's going to be the big deal. So I kind of see more of a year where we have earnings per share estimated growth of about 6% plus dividends, a couple points on that. So in that world of your 60-40, you've got the stock component calming down a little bit, not driving as much as it did this year. But the bond side of it that's now paying me over 4%, and what we really focus on, we, we've talked about quite a bit, is the real yields. And that's what's so important. And that's that, at the end of the day, that's been the big reset that's happened in the last few years. The pandemic's brought up on inflation we hadn't seen in 40 years, and that's caused the Fed to go on this massive hiking cycle that's increased real yields, which is the return I get in the bond market after subtracting for inflation. Post-crisis 2008, we've had negative real yields for the majority of that time. We yep. now have positive. That's kind of a drag. That's a real like you know, resistance that, that we have to overcome, that cost of capital. Mm-hmm. But we're adjusting. Back at the end of October, when we were looking at 5% on 10-year yield, we were pointing out that that's the la- average level of interest rates in this country right. since Alexander Hamilton. Yep. Uh, 
Treasury yep. Secretary. So I see it simply as this. 2008 was a great financial crisis that uh, global shutdown. It caused the Fed to do things in monetary policy we've never seen. Ben Bernanke was an expert on the Great Depression, the mm-hmm. world's leading expert. So he enrolled things like quantitative easing, Easy. these different programs where the Fed expanded its balance sheet. That's all being unwound now. We have these high real rates. So I expect, you know, this volatile as 2008 was going in, we had the volatility the last couple of years as we've come out of this. Mm-hmm. And the Fed's still paring down its balance sheet. They're trying to get back to neutral, 2% average inflation target. Uh, I think they're going to be successful at that. But I think a lot of the volatility on the rising rate side of the trade is now behind us. And now we're on the declining side, which ought to be fair winds. I think downside is probably limited in our markets. But upside could be a little capped as we transition to that period when earnings start to take off again, which we've, we look for in the and, next and years. And because, because we've actually gotten that rise in interest rates, we've seen a, a huge influx into money market and in, into money markets, right? Yeah. And I think the retail investor needs to be aware that, hey, when they start cutting rates, so those, it does. Those so rates that's go down. the most <laughs> sensitive part, exactly. So. Yeah, we, we talk about this concept of duration, et cetera, but where the Fed really controls is short rates. Mm-hmm. They don't control the long. They tried that through quantitative easing right. and things like right. that. That was all that control 10 years and out. But these short rates, that's in the Fed's control. As fast as you saw them go up, you'll see them come down as the Fed starts to drop rates. And that's what we're seeing happening right now is I get out there 10 years and longer, they're staying a little sticky. Yeah. You know, down from five, you know, four and a quarter, right. but still a little sticky compared to what shorter rates are doing. So I would uh, use this as an opportunity that as we get into the, into the next quarter to extend your duration, move out of money markets, start buying bonds, even, you know, two year treasuries aren't bad, five year, 10 year. It's getting out a little bit on that curve. You don't have to go long, you have to take a lot of great risk, and you're being rewarded where, Forty percent of your portfolio is clipping, you know, four to five percent coupons income every year. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get you that. Uh, remember, we used to talk about Shh. Tina. Tina yeah. was acronym. Yep. There is no alternative no to stocks because bonds didn't pay. Well, now the acronym is Terra. There's a reasonable alternative to stocks, and that's fixed income. So the balanced portfolio sixty four to me was long. You know, it was cascaded to be dead in the ground. I don't think that's the truth. That's coming back and they'll do quite well in the coming year. So I know you've mentioned it now, recession a little bit. We have a couple of terms that we use, Santa Claus rally for the end of 2023. Then we have the January effect. Like I, Even when we say it's, it's almost impossible to truly predict markets, we still try. That's that's part of the job, right? Is to, to look at the data and really analyze it and do you see the typical Santa Claus rally? So and seasonality, talk- yeah. yeah. These are seasonality factors. Uh, we've, we've got some big ones coming up. We, the Santa Claus rally, which is just typically the nature of the market that likes to kind of bid things up towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. It's just, just the way that goes. Right. I think there's greater value in the January effect. And you know, for those that haven't heard about the January effect, this year was a greatest example I've seen in a long time. As we got at the end of 22, and all those big tech stocks, Tesla was a prime example, down 100 bucks a share. They had come off so far that you had people doing massive tax loss selling at the end, through the end of the year. So when January hit, 
Buy it back. You had the people coming in that knew the tax loss mm-hmm. trade. The January effect is the rebound in yeah. those stocks that get impacted by tax loss selling. This year, if I had to speculate, you know, put that hat on, right? <laughs> uh, I'd say it's probably going to be in small caps in value stocks, dividend-paying stocks. Let's go back to the beginning of this year. Mm-hmm. Everybody was fearful of recession, so they all went parked in dividend growth yep. stocks, dividend pairs, the option premium funds and all that. They haven't done anything this year. They've actually been declined. Why? Because they own financials, real estate, utilities. It's all, all been the in the mag seven. go against yep. a rising rate environment. Yeah. Those things may start to do a bit better coming in the next year as things calm down and rates go the other way, but it was not in their favor this year. So the other big topic of 2024 will be the election season. Yeah, that's another seasonal factor. Historically, in the year of an election, whether it's the first or second term, uh, markets are up. I mean, that's simply because they don't want to do anything to mess up the economy, right? Mm-hmm. So markets historically have been up. So that's in our favor, the seasonality of next year. If I look at the S&P 500 that we said was really driven by those MAG-7, and it's up you know, 19% for the year, if I look at something like the equal weight S&P 500, that's the more broader market, that's up 4% for the year. Our opportunity in the coming year, I think, is maybe a more diversified portfolio, a little bit more international because of a weakening dollar, is when the Fed's raising rates, it makes the dollar stronger. When the Fed's lowering rates, the dollar gets weaker. Well, the dollar's a big driver of international performance. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing it right now as the dollar's weakening, as rates come down, our international component that we have is starting to lift. So feel good about that. You might get the January effect on those small caps, um, value stocks, dividend payers. But I think next year's more of a year about broader diversification. And even things have gotten beat up so bad are really not maybe done as well, like gold, kind of a surprise it hadn't done as well, given all the geopolitical risks. Yeah. It's up 10% for the year, but it had competition from a 10-year paying me 5%. Now that I'm seeing that yields come down, you're starting to see gold go up a little bit. So gold and, and perhaps oil, too, are probably two areas where good, good hedges for next year. I'm cautiously optimistic, right? I think if we just go back to 2020, I do believe there's some post-pandemic fear that we're still kind of walking around with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. The the 2008 financial crisis, I think I saw people still so fearful of that repeat going all the way up until maybe 2015, 2016. It yes. took that many years. It's, there's still this sense of the next shoe that could drop. But this year has proven to be an unexpected year when we were all sure that it was just going to be awful all year long. And here we are. Yeah, I have to say it's probably one of the more challenging years that I've had professionally. Uh, Everything that you would normally expect, the rule books get torn up, thrown out the window. So you have to listen to what the market's saying. And in this case, the market was saying the Mac 7, Magnificent 7 is a place to be, those big that have been there year in and year out for the last decade. Our greatest risk, I think, going forward to that is antitrust. Mm. You're seeing in Europe, and you got a case of the first quarter with Google and the U.S. government. So that's probably going to be – those are longer times to play out, but they right. eventually do take those guys down. So that's the risk we have to watch. Well, as always, our, our conversations are quite interesting, um, and I'll look forward to hearing what we had to say <laughs> when this one comes out. 
<laughs> thank you, Glenn, for your thoughts. And I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for subscribing to RHP Market Talk. Please follow RHP Wealth Management on LinkedIn and Facebook for additional information. As always, leave us a review. And if you have any questions or would like to discuss today's topics, feel free to contact us through our website at royalharborpartners.com. At RHP, we are passionate about igniting change for our clients. We will help you identify what truly matters to you and your family and help you on your journey to making changes in your financial life with your life goals in mind. Please contact us to begin your transformative journey. Royal Harbor Partners is a registered investment advisor and the opinions expressed by Royal Harbor Partners on this show are their own. Registration of an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.